I'm Tristan Verboven. This is part two of Barbarian Dawn. In our last episode, we watched as a young Roman officer, Aetius, try to keep fragile peace with the marauding Huns to the north. And we watched a new tribe, the Vandals, make a daring crossing into the Empire to flee the wrath of these Huns. For now, the Vandals are desperate refugees, like many others, hoping to find a home among the Romans. But, dear listener, for all the tribes that are seeking a new life, we will follow this tribe in particular as they wander helplessly into the new world, for they carry with them something that Rome has not seen in a very long time. Welcome to the Story Engine. Vandals slowly make their way south through the lands of Rome. And in their migration, they find other tribes who once lived in the lands north of the Great Rhine River, who have found new homelands. Five hundred years have passed since Roman legions conquered the lands of the savage tribes. And for five hundred years, there has been peace and prosperity. Only now, these lands are inhabited again by barbarian tribes, and it is for Rome to continue to keep the peace. Sadly, dear listener, the seven hills of Rome are no longer the shining beacon of the future, and they no longer look to the wisdom of its council of elders for guidance. It is now ruled by a single powerful family, passed from father to son by war and blood, the most recent of which has left it in the dubious hands of an adolescent Valentinian, the great boy leader. Or, to be more precise, his mother, Placidia, as we have seen in the Hunnish King's Floor Show. Our commander, Aetius, has been summoned to this court, where we find them now. Aetius stands before a seated Valentinian, who is doing his best to be regal. Placidia stands by the great boy leader's side, calling their guest to come closer. I have come with reports from the West, great leader, announces Aetius. The new tribe, the Vandals, are causing more disturbances. They seek to take land from the Goths, the western reaches of big water. They claim it to be their own. We must now make new peace with them. The Goths are to continue to fight on our side. Placidia steps forward towards the commander. The Goths will come around once we show them who's in charge. You and I know these barbarians well, Aetius. I too spent my youth among them. Do you remember? I was once forced to marry that king to ensure peace when the barbarians had Rome by the throat. You know the game, Aetius. They trade in war, nothing else. At this, Placidia steps back and stands behind her son on the throne. This is why we have chosen you for the job, Commander Aetius. You have been elevated 
to Protector of Seven Hills, the highest military rank and honor. Well, what do you say to that? An extraordinary honor, Lutius bows, and most unexpected. Nobody is quite as capable and qualified as you, Commander. You know the tribal leaders. You know how they operate. You are practically one of them, which, despite our distrust for you, makes you indispensable. All we ask is for your devoted loyalty, Aetius. Do you pledge your oath of loyalty? I am loyal to Rome. You are loyal to the great leader, snaps Valentinian. Remember who you serve, Aetius. You've served my rivals in the past, but you'll serve me now. Remember when you are in the court of these savages that I carry the true blood of our noble ancestors. I shall not let the civilized world be tarnished. I shall serve you, great leader, and the noble bloodline that we share. And I shall protect seven hills of Rome to the death. Aetius bows his head. Now drive these vandals into the sea, protector of seven hills. Show these savages the might of a civilized people. And so, dear listener, the protector of seven hills, Commander Aetius, travels west to unite his army with the Goths to drive the Vandals into the sea. But meanwhile, on the western reaches of big water, Geyseric, now king of his people, has the same idea. Only he plans to do it with his own ships. And so we find ourselves on the western reaches of big water. The air over a large harbor is filled with the sounds of hammers and saws, as the Vandal people are busily adding more ships to their fleet and lining up the docks. Geyseric, now a young man, stands with his son Hunneric, overlooking it all with great satisfaction. Will it be dangerous at sea, father? asks the boy. I've heard stories of great squalls and creatures from the depth that could swallow us whole. Those are sailors' legends, boy, replies Geyseric. These boats are our bridge to the promised land, across the sea to Africa. We shall find our kingdom there. Why must we leave this place? Do these lands not now belong to the Vandal people? These lands have served our people well, and they are ours by right, as they were once held by the great Hannibal Barca himself. But Rome wishes us banished, and their general Aetius has gathered an army to drive us into the sea. Aetius is a formidable general. He has learned the ways of the barbarian tribes and has united them against us. Aetius sounds like General Hannibal, father, uniting tribes against a common enemy. Ha 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 
Geyseric laughs at this. He is indeed just like old Hannibal Barker. And in this story, he will be. And it is I who will be Marshal Skippy. He shall be the defender of a dying race, and I shall lead my people into the future. He kneels down to his son's level and turns to point out to the water. Those ships, Henrik, he says. Only a few years ago, our people had never even set eyes upon the ocean. But now we have learned to sail upon it, across the sea. There's a city of wealth and splendor, with land so rich it supplies all the food for big water. But as long as Aetius is marching his army upon us here, there is nobody to defend the great city of Karna. Like Marshal Skippy, we shall take it for ourselves. We shall be pirates of big water, cries Hunnerick. Yes, my boy, pirates indeed. out. Aetius, busily playing the delicate and dangerous game of keeping the peace between tribes, arrives on the western reaches of big water, only to find that the Vandal people and their fleet gone, and that the great city of Cartha, woken from a blissful sleep, is overrun by a strange horde from across the sea. The news of this disaster reaches the furious court of Valentinian and Placidia, who strip Aetius of his title and banish him from Rome. Ah, yes, dear listener, they are not called the Vandals for nothing. Geyseric and his band of pirates, by trickery and brute force, storm the unsuspecting defenseless city of Cartha, taking from it its wealth and power for Cartha is not just a rich province on the Roman Empire. It is the very breadbasket. And now, the grain supply that feeds Seven Hills, its people and its armies, is in the hands of brand new pirates, who are out to bring vengeance upon Rome. And, worst of all, is that Seven Hills' great protector and only hope, Aetius, is now far away. With no place to go, he has fled to the only family he has left, the court of the Huns. He now finds himself before their new king, Attila the Hun. Aetius enters the very hall where Attila's father once held court. It has the same throne at its head, and the same broad floor surrounded by seats. Only this time, as he walks in, Attila has the room cleared of its warriors and attendants, and Aetius is alone with his old friend. 
Attila stands up from his throne, sheds his cloak, and steps down to meet him. Aetius, my brother, how it pleases me to have you among us again. Come, sit with me. The men take their place at a nearby table and begin drinking mead from the cups laid out. King Attila, Aetius replies, finally you are the master of your people. There is no rest for me now. Be happy that you are no longer burdened with power, Aetius. I have gained my place at the misfortune of others. My own misfortune cannot be far away. Valentinian has made his court a snake pit, but I feel safer here than I do in his court. Loyalty has always been your greatest strength, Aetius. The Romans sent you away as a child to live in an enemy camp with men who know nothing but toil and violence all those years living among the barbarians, and yet you are still one of them. They distrust you, they mistreat you, yet you serve them with such devotion. What I would do for such loyalty! Attila, I hold in my veins the noble blood of many worthy men of the seven hills of Rome, replies Aetius. My line goes back to the golden age. I shall defend the seven hills to my last breath. With your skills, I could give you command of the most powerful army ever known. A hundred thousand men, if you so desired. Hunnish men. Imagine what you could do with such a force. But Rome holds the light, Attila. It may not have the strength it once had, but it's the home of great culture, poetry, music, architecture, learning, it is the home of the most powerful god. This must be defended at all cost. Attila pauses a moment to reflect on these words. You think us savages, don't you, Aetius? Attila pulls his drink down and rests his fists upon the table. You think us nothing more than filthy brigands? Thieves! Creatures of appetite! dazzled by gold and silver, content to drape ourselves in trinkets and trophies. We have no art, but the art of war. We have no science, but siege engines. And we have no literature, but the body tales of heroes and beasts. We have no history, but that which is written by the survivors of our wrath. No poetry, no music, no sculpture, just weaponry and horsecraft. Attila looks sternly at his friend. But all of that will change, my dear Aetius. You'll see. I am king now. And there will be a new future for my people. We are the future. You'll see. But dear listener, Attila is not the only barbarian with an eye on the future. We now travel from the northern reaches of Rome to the southern banks of Big Water, where Geyseric and his tribe of Vandals are making themselves very cozy at the great city of Cartha. They now control the most powerful fleet on Big Water and the most fertile lands known to the world. 
and they intend to take their revenge. Geyserich is standing over a map of big water with his now adolescent son delighting in their conquest. One thing about the Romans, says Geyserich, they are excellent map makers. Hunneric shares a laugh. Not to mention excellent builders, excellent builders of ships, excellent builders of cities, excellent builders of farms. Why, these farms make enough crops to feed all of big water. Just imagine, my son, not a generation ago, my father led a starving band of unfortunates to seek mercy with Rome. And now, now we have the entire empire by the throat. He leans over to the map, his gloved fist on either side of it. Just look, my son, look at the kingdom of the Vandals. All of North Africa is now in our hands. The finest, most productive lands in the world. And the islands that were once the wealth of Cartha, those are ours too. No ship can sail big water without a heavy Vandal tax. The only place left on the Cartha lands is Sickle Island, the very Barca homeland. It still serves Rome. Why do we not just land our ships and take it, Father? We must never underestimate them, my boy. They may be weak, but they're vicious when cornered. We must choose the right moment to strike. Let us weaken them first before we fight. They are dependent on us for grain. If we cut them off, they will fight us for it. But if we sell it to them at double the price, they will pay it. We shall bleed their coffers dry. How can we be sure they will comply? This is where you come into the plan, Hunnerick. In exchange for peace, I will demand that the great boy leader's sister Honoria give her hand to you in marriage. And when you and she are old enough, imagine a vandal king in the court of seven hills generation ago we were wandering vagabonds. Finally, the Vandal name shall mean something. Indeed it shall, dear listener. In seven hills, from the court of the great boy leader to the marketplace, the name of the Vandals is cursed. Food prices have skyrocketed. The wealth of Cartha has been robbed. And trade among big water in turmoil. So when Valentinian receives a message from Geyseric that his sister is to wed the Vandal Prince, Honoria is outraged. You would have me marry one of those savages! 
I carry the noble blood of my ancestors. I will not share it with an ape. Placidia tries to talk her daughter down the best she can. We must all do what we must to spare Rome, my dear. That is the duty of our noble blood. Do not forget that I too had to share my bed with the king of the Goths, just so we could keep peace in our place in the house. You shall do the same. But it was all too much for this impetuous creature. Poor Honoria can see where the future lay, or more precisely, with whom. What she does next will change the history of the world, dear listener. With a single handwritten note and a ring sent into the night by messenger, she sets in motion the end of the world as we know it. What was in this fateful note? We shall find out now. Our friend Aetius is arriving at the court of Rome. He rides in as he has done so many times from the darkness of Hunnish badlands to the splendor of a great palace. He rides past many layers of imperial pomp, past feathered guards and draped columns, past the magnificent works of art, past the throngs of attendants and servants to the great hall where an audience witnesses the daily workings. Commander Aetius, with an urgent message for Valentinian from Attila, King of the Huns. He is ushered into the court and finds himself before the great boy leader, his mother Placidia, and his sister Honoria. I'm glad to see you here too, Honoria. This concerns you as well. Valentinian and Placidia look at each other puzzled. Honoria has turned white with alarm. I have here a note in Honoria's hand that arrived in the Hunnish court by messenger. What is this? demands Valentinian, raising himself into a rage. It was accompanied by a ring and an offer of marriage to Attila, king of the Huns, if he would rescue her from her bondage and from her brother Valentinian, great leader of Rome. What is this? Valentinian lunges across the room and immediately throws himself on top of his sister, his hands around her throat. You stupid, crazy fool! He screams in her choking face. How could you be so stupid? At each of his words, he pounds her head against the marble floor. You'll kill us all, you stupid child! The court watches in horror and shock. The great boy leader strangles his poor helpless sister on the floor. None dare to step forward, nor even to speak, as the awful spectacle continues. Marvel is stained with blood. Noria can scarcely breathe. Placidia finally manages to pry Valentinian's hands from her neck. Stop it, Valentinian! Stop it! Stop it! cries Placidia. Stop it! Stop it! We need her alive! 
Valentinian lands one last blow upon his sister's face, and then, composing himself, he gets up. He wipes his bloody hands on his white draping toga, and calmly walks back to his throne. Two of the attendants scurry forward to assist Honoria, who lay choking. LEAVE HER! Without turning, as he says to Aetius, who's been standing by at attention. I am the great leader! Me! Not these women! Me! I am the great leader! I will decide! I will decide who marries who! And who dies! And who does the killing! Me! I will decide! Nobody else! He slowly takes his place again at the throne, looking pensively at the wheezing body, bloody on the floor. Aetius breaks the awkward silence. Attila, king of the Huns, demands immediate delivery of his betrothed, as well as half of the Gallic lands as a dowry. Valentinian closes his eyes and chuckles hopelessly to himself. He then looks over at Placidia. You're the great leader now, my son. He then looks over at Aetius. I know we have had our differences in the past, my dear Aetius, and that you owe nothing to this house. That Attila will come for our lands. I know it as well as you and he will come for his place in this court. And when he does, we're all doomed. The severed hills of Rome are doomed. Civilization is doomed. Centuries of empire. And I will not have it happen on my watch. And nor will you. He can gather a force of at least 60,000 men, replies Aetius. That's 60,000 mounted Hunnish warriors, and they will pillage and destroy everything they meet on the way. Whether it is us or local tribes, makes no difference. He will not stop until he sees his way. Our only chance is to unite our tribes of the West into a common force. They all have a score to settle with the Huns. With the army we are building to take back Cartha, we will march it on the Hunnish advance. But I'm counting on you, Aetius, to muster the best of the Goths, the Burgundians, whoever else still lives in Rome, and clean up my sister's mess! Do I have your loyalty, Aetius? I am loyal, great leader, says Aetius. I am forever loyal to Rome. No, it's not looking good, dear listener. It's not looking good at all. The delicate fate of Rome is now in the hands of the great boy leader now turned Emperor of Rome, and his scheming mother and sister, and the questionable loyalty of the only capable man left, 
Not a good place to be with its dwindling food supply in the hands of marauding pirates to the south, and its totally inadequate army marching north to face the most terrifying species of warriors ever seen by man, led by an ambitious genocidal barbarian hell-bent on a legacy of conquest and destruction. But we have Etienne's, the last wild card in a stacked deck, who's prepared to deal himself into Rome's last stand, using an old page from the Book of Hannibal himself. And we all know how that turned out. But you will have to find out in our next and final episode which great force will fall and who shall inherit the earth. We need only look at ourselves in the face to know the outcome. How it happens is the tale for the next episode of The Story Engine.